Coming up, I get interrogated by K2 Intelligence in New York. We're going to provide some headlines to our transparency study. And finally, we're going to look at Snapchat's product update from yesterday, which may put them in the lead of social apps. Okay, so before we get into the show, uh, today is our seventh birthday, IDcoms. It is. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Enjoy. April Fool's Day, 2009. (laughs) It is. So we set the company up. On April Fool's Day. We did. Uh, so we thought that was a perfectly appropriate day to launch uh, the business. Um, and it's nice to be back in the seat as well because yeah, we haven't, I feel like we've spent a long time since it the two is. of us have done yeah. a show together. Um, so anyway, special birthday episode. Mm-hmm. What have we got coming up? I'm going to talk a little bit to start with about uh, a, uh, an interview that I had with K2 Intelligence, which, which is the firm that's supporting the ANA's uh, rebate assessment in the That's US right. market. We're going to share with you some kind of top line uh, findings from our transparency study that we closed a couple of weeks ago. Yep. And finally, uh, you may not have failed to notice uh, or seen the headlines regarding Snapchat's product update, which happened yesterday, which is getting quite a lot of attention. Mm-hmm. Um, so we'll look into that and, and really think about what the implications and opportunities might be for marketers and brands with that update. Uh, all coming up on IDCOM's Media Snack in just the time it takes to eat a sandwich. Okay, first up, uh, what it feels like to be uh, interrogated by mm. uh, a corporate investigation firm. So K2, as we know, are partnering with Ubiquity and Firm Decisions uh, in uh, helping the ANA uh, understand a little bit more about the rebate practices in, in the US. Uh, and you, when you were in New York a couple of weeks ago, uh, you were interrogated. You put in brackets gently. Gently, yeah. Gently. By, um, nice, by, it was a nice experience. By K2. So, I mean, I think that's really interesting. What, what, what was that like? What was, the, what, were the, what was the line of their questioning? Well, it's good. I mean, I, I had in mind that it would be like a, some CIA investigation, you know, like interrogation. So I was, I was kind of bracing myself. But, of course, you know, it's very nice, lovely people, um, really smart, um, just being... Uh, expertly questioned by some smart lawyers really that was kind of it um, and you know we're just helping obviously with that study and the assessment that they're doing into the rebate uh, market and broader than mm-hmm. just rebates um, but as a process it's good I mean it's clearly really thorough very well thought out and for a company that uh, by their own admission has zero knowledge of the media industry um, having started working on this towards the back end of last year. They've clearly been very well briefed by you know, their colleagues at the ANA and Ubiquity to understand the market, and they've clearly asked some very smart questions. Um, the questions they were asking me I thought were really impressive. They showed real insight and understanding of the, of the landscape. Yeah. And the, the biggest thing, I wrote a piece in Campaign Magazine last week, so we'll, um, we'll provide a link to that, which kind of summarizes uh, that experience and puts it in the context of the ANA uh, study that's going on. But the thing that, that I thought that was the most reassuring was that they were asking equally asking questions about client side marketers' behaviours yeah. uh, as much as they were about agencies. Right. So it was clear that you know, this is not a, an agency witch hunt. So it's this is, it's, it's a kind of balance because I think they had 
And that, that reassured me that it's, it's a balanced perspective, realizing that you know, to move forward or make progress in this space requires you know, a, this mutual understanding that we keep talking about kind of greater trust and transparency on both sides uh, in this area. And it's not just honing in or trying to identify you know, any negative or, or uh, bad behaviors on the agency mm -hmm. side. That's good. It's also saying, actually, it's holding marketers accountable yeah. um, to work with their agencies in more transparent ways as well, which yeah. that was good. Did they, um, did they provide any suggestion as to when the report would be ready or when? Not what, really. what are they going to do? Because there's the ANA conference in, in April, right, which yeah. I think you're going to attend. Yeah. Um, is, there a, is there an anticipation that there's going to be some big reveal? Well, there was. That, that was the idea. That's why I was going, right. really. Um, this is the Advertising Financial Management Conference, mm. which is a big ANA, mostly procurement conference. It's about 700 delegates that go. It's a really big deal. Uh, and I've been the last few years. It's really good. Um, and I anticipated, and I guess many people did, that at that conference would be where they do the big some yeah, kind of big reveal to members because it was at that conference last year where they really kind of kicked off this mm -hmm. initiative. Um, from uh, conversations that I've had with K2 and people around the ANA, it looks unlikely that they're going to be ready to publish right. in time. And actually, I don't think that they're yet clear exactly what publish means. Mm. Um, you know, there is obviously an internal reporting that K2 will make to the ANA. Yeah. Um, and then it's really up to the ANA to decide to what extent they want to share those findings with their members, whether they want to just issue some guidelines, whether they even make anything kind of more widely available. Yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll, wait, we'll wait and see on that. I mean, I expect the outputs have to be quite specific guidelines for marketers. Yeah. I think the ANA probably have to take a, uh, you know, a, a kind of very a, a leadership position, which balances the requirements of both the client and the agency and it's not too confrontational yeah but this uh, the, i mean this this investigation was, was launched with with great fanfare yeah. and um they were very definitive in in what they were trying to find mm. um and not least in engaging with k2 and and their reputation within the marketplace yeah. i think brands out there will be expecting uh, some quite specific findings, um, and and I'd imagine that they're waiting with bated breath for for the A and A to come back to them with with something a little bit more specific. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so probably late May, early June for uh, some form of announcement that may be made to the wider public. Um, I don't think there's going to be a smoking gun, but I, hopefully there will be really, really constructive guidelines yeah. and also commitment on all sides to make sure that this is a practice, uh, you know, or anything around these kind of areas, which is not disadvantaging marketers. Absolutely. Okay, and, they get, and they're able to work constructively and productively with their agencies and that we can rebuild any trust that might be missing from the industry right now. Absolutely critical. And as soon as we hear or see anything, we'll obviously uh, you know mention it and reference it in one of these snacks right next up um, continuing the theme really because we're talking about trust and transparency yeah. uh, I think we've mentioned on a previous episode I don't know which one that was probably 14 15 have a look uh, we'd launched a transparency survey back in February um, which was an IDcoms initiative uh, which we sent out and we had about 140 
It's really respondents. good. It's a great, um, great collection of, of brands and marketers. Yeah. So very good, very good response rate. And we were looking at the levels of trust that currently exist between marketer, stroke procurement, and their agencies. Yeah. Uh, whether transparency was a component of that, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, if transparency, if transparency was an issue, what is it that was driving concerns over lack of transparency? Um, so we got those results in the beginning of March, and we're due to publish uh, the findings at the beginning of next week. That's so right, we'll be yeah. circulating that back out. Uh, yeah. If you'd like a copy of the report, please yeah. get in touch. Some really strong insights that we got through from the results. The good news is that you know uh, almost all of the brand marketers and procurement experts that we spoke to believe that a stronger relationship with their agencies would enable greater, better marketing performance, because that's the good news. The bad news is that uh, 80% of the respondents uh, believe that trust was at an all-time low. Uh, Unsatisfactory was the way that they described it. Um, Even worse news, if you like, is that they don't expect that to improve in the next year. Yeah, that's the bit I was surprised at. There's not not much optimism really around improvements in trust. And I'm not surprised at that because, you know, the the toxic nature of all of the news that that is kind of surrounding the transparency kind of debate at the moment is, I think, just sort of dragging everybody down. And there doesn't seem to be any any positivity about it. Um, The two kind of key areas when we asked the the respondents, you know, which were the pressure points when it came to to lack of trust? Mm. Uh, Not surprisingly, it was around rebates. And secondly, it was around the ambiguity in some cases of how the agency made makes money. Yeah, and their relationship with, with media vendors, with media which vendors is you know, well. something that we've talked about before. Mm. So that, I mean, that's reflected very much in marketing and, and procurement thinking. There were some clear distinctions, as you know, unsurprisingly, some clear distinctions between the client side and the agency side. The agency is generally a bit more optimistic yeah. and positive. Um, the marketers were not negative, but perhaps, you know, they just have a different point of view and didn't have, uh, don't have as much faith, perhaps, in the yeah. tr- levels in the levels of trust um, but I mean, we'll publish it next week. We're taking that survey right. then into um, a client-only event, which we may have mentioned before. We're going to do in a couple of weeks in London. Uh, it's an invitation-only event, but if you'd like to apply, um, you can get in touch uh, through the channel. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just for marketers and procurement leaders. And we're doing a panel, so uh, we've got a great partly, panel. Yeah. Partly based on the findings of the of the research, which have been really interesting. Mm-hmm. We just want to take that further and have a representative discussion That's right. across the industry. So who, who have we got? We've got some lovely So, names. yeah, we've got Bob Wharton, uh, who is uh, head of media at ISBAR. Yeah. Uh, we've got Ian Jacob, who is the, the newly appointed uh, European CEO of Publicist Media. Yeah, so that'll be good. He's, he's, he's got a nice, fresh yeah, new story absolutely. to talk about. And, and his perspective, I'd imagine, on... Uh, you know the transparency issues and the principles that they put in place when they were designing, you know, the new blueprint for publicist media. Mm. I'm sure will have had transparency and trust at the very heart of it. So, you'd hope so. Well, you'd hope so. Given but that it's the, probably yeah, the biggest issue facing absolutely. marketers right so, now. Absolutely. So asking Ian perhaps to elaborate on that, I think, will yeah. be really interesting. We've got Adrian Jenkins, who's the the founder of um, Financial Progression. Yeah. Uh, and we've got Max Raven, who is uh, SVP of sales, international sales at CNBC. Yeah. And we've also got a really interesting keynote as well, because we've got uh, uh, a fantastic chap called William Metz, who's one of the analysts at Nomura International, which is an investment 
uh, bank. And they, they do a lot of advisory. We've talked about them before because we get, sometimes go in and we have breakfast with Will and some of his invest, investor groups. Mm-hmm. Um, just talking about much bigger macro perspective. And I think Will's, Will's setup, his keynote, is going to be fascinating for those that come uh, because he and people like him mm-hmm. see our funny little industry from this 35,000 foot view in a way that we don't often yeah, talk about, you right. know, from a, from a large-scale investor's perspective, where they see the future of the, the advertising yeah, and the marketing community absolutely. and the business. And you've got to remember that this industry has posted stellar results for the last four or five years. Mm. So getting his perspective uh, from, a, from a macro uh, point of view, I think, will be really interesting. And yeah. I think it's going to set the context for the, dis- for the discussion uh, really nicely. Yeah. And finally, uh, one of your favourite apps, Snapchat. Yeah. They've come to market with two new product innovations, which yeah. you're particularly uh, impressed with. Well, yeah, they are. I mean, it's made quite a lot of news the last 24 hours. Snapchat, um, which is a, a, some kind of social messaging app, I suppose. It was originally um, you know, people sending photos to each other, but it's it turned into a kind of chat app now. Um, and, you know... It's, it's point of difference, which is and probably one of the main reasons for its continued success. So they have about 100 million active users, 8 billion views a day of video that content, is, is which is quite phenomenal. Um, but the big thing about Snapchat, if you're not familiar with it, recommend you go and have a look at it. But uh, content is not stored. Okay? Right. So at most it lasts 24 hours. And so it just presents a, an entirely different... Uh, social experience and it makes us you know all this kind of vanity and narcissism that we perhaps we get through managing our own you know reputations and profiles and perceptions through uh, you know our Facebook profiles and our particularly Instagram which is a bit over manicured and all that you know Um, Snapchat content doesn't last so it's just a bit more human. So it's quite it's it's always been quite a nice feature of Snapchat perhaps always had potential to do very well Um, and it's been very successful with a teenage audience because of that. You know, perhaps, you know, to get too deep and meaningful, but, but, but perhaps because, you know, younger people have kind of, you know, they're yeah. figuring out their own identity and it just worked for them and they can, be, they can experiment in Snapchat. Um, but the user base has grown now. And there are two really significant rollouts of products. One which happened last year, which is when I started to kind of think, actually, it really starts to be interesting. Mm-hmm. As a user, it starts to be interesting. Um, and that's a thing called stories, right. which gathers together all of your snaps and your video. And they launch a video rather than just still f- photography. But it gathers together that in a little story which lasts for 24 hours. So you can basically view somebody's last 24 hours. Mm. Um, and that's just quite an interesting, uh, an interesting thing. Um, and that's grown users. And I think that's just made it slightly, slightly older. Um, it's really good functionality. And then there's a thing called Live, which um, is a bit like a Twitter hashtag. It just gathers together lots of content from lots of different users, but around a particular theme. And because Snapchat are curating that, mm. they started selling ads in it. Right, okay. um, but it's content, they have to approve of the content that goes in the ad. Uh, but it's, that's a really clever. They're, what they've become very good at, Snapchat, is thinking really clever commercially. Yeah. Not just building their user base, but also in parallel, mm. 
They seem to be really on how to start to monetize the audience side by side. And they're looking to develop the kind of ads that, are, that, that go on Snapchat. So they, they're, yeah. they're allowing the customization of these ads yeah. based on the profile of the... Well, there's that. So, I mean, this was part of the rollout yesterday. So yesterday, the big thing, two big things happened. One is that um, Snapchat launched some new functionality, which mm-hmm. we won't really dwell on here because I mean, that's really more user-focused. Mm-hmm. Um, but it puts them in a really a very strong position. It's bringing together chat functionality. It's basically bringing together... Uh, the existing Snapchat functionality mm-hmm. with a messaging app like WhatsApp, mm-hmm. with a uh, video call app like a FaceTime or mm-hmm. whichever one you might use. Mm-hmm. Um, and so people can switch between different methods of communication incredibly easily within one screen, mm-hmm. which is a really nice step forward. It means that you don't have to keep backing in and out of different apps. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that will keep people's attention within Snapchat and then hopefully they'll use other functionality and therefore that's what Snapchat are looking to monetize. Mm-hmm. The other thing that they did yesterday was they changed the terms and conditions, as a lot of these apps have to do at some point to say, we might serve you ads uh, that will be targeted based on your user data. Um, So that was inserted yesterday in the terms and conditions. Um, Obviously, that little bit of text was slightly overshadowed by the excitement of the chat features. um, And so there's not much attention being paid to that. But it's significant because it means that Snapchat can perhaps start to use and leverage user data, which they haven't really exploited to date. And they've been very proud of the fact that they are uh, very pro-user and very sensitive to to spamming with Mm -hmm. advertising. Um, But now they have a right, if you continue to use the service, to collect and potentially use some of your user information. Because traditionally you could only geo-target or age-target on exactly, Snapchat, yeah, right? Yeah. So, you know, the, 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 the cynics amongst us might say that this is a, a strategy to allow them to go after slightly larger digital budgets, to yeah. go after the budgets that predominantly are given to Facebook and, and Google. Yeah, right? and, that, and that's it. I mean, I think it's, it's a very intentional move. The, the product rollout is definitely designed to, to steal uh, time away from Facebook's Messenger mm. app. Um, and the change in the terms and conditions, as you say, allows them to compete with some of these other uh, larger apps like a, mm. a Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, um, to better customize the, that, that opportunity yeah. for, for marketers. And the, one of, you know, the founders have said that they will, they will be very sensitive to their user base when it comes to monetizing them and advertising. So we'll see. They, you know, they will start rolling out, um, you know, increased marketing opportunities. Okay, before we go this week, um, as we said, it's our birthday today. We are going to do next week a media snack where David and I will just do Q&A and we're going to answer questions. We've been receiving some questions about the business. Um, and so, you know, ask us any questions about why we do what we do, how we do it, how we run the business. A perspective on the industry. Yeah. Um, so submit questions either below this or you can mm. submit them on Twitter at IDcoms. Um, but that's it for this week's episode. Uh, thank you for watching. Bye for now. Have a good weekend.